and we're live again. Outstanding. That was hilarious. This week's uh, episode is going to be about future classics, stuff we see going up in value in the near future, or the far future, for some of these. Uh, stuff that's not going to go up in value, but it probably should, because they're great cars. And some stuff that uh, the group of us just honestly don't understand why they're worth so much, but they just are mostly because people are stupid. We've got my the usual suspects, myself, the Norwegian giant Craig Moody. Yep. And a special guest this week, the C Steve Caudill Sr., <laughs> progenitor of the car legacy. Oh, thank you very much. Think of me as a lucky costus. I still act like a kid. He does kind of look like a kid. <laughs> Might have a little more hair, a little more uh, black hair left than Lucky. Lucky's gone all gray at this point. Not much. <laughs> Alright Craig, you want to take us first with uh, stuff that's never going to go up in value? Well, so this topic is also very hard to kind of bring up without, you know, being totally biased. Um, a lot of these cars that we're going to bring up today are going to be more about the personality and the feel of those cars and then the relations that we as drivers and mechanics own with these vehicles. And so the first one I'm going to drop is admitting it straight to the rotary guys. The RX-8 R3, I think it was from 2009 to 2011. Um, I personally had a an Aurora Blue six-speed manual with less than 20,000 miles, and it was glorious in every way for all of like the year and a half that I owned it. Then I promptly sold it to a collector and made out on it, and now you you can't give away an RX-8 without you know a pack of beer or a 12 12 uh, chicken nuggets set or something. Um, I just think in general the RX-8 was not a well-received chassis. Um, it was a fantastic driver's car. The Mazda really did a whole lot of their work, and a lot of the trickle-down engineering went to the NC Miata, which we'll talk about next. But I just think in uh, the public's eye, they're just not going to deem them worth anything. And you're going to have those guys who have like a, the R3 package with low miles, but it's still not going to be worth the you know twenty, thirty thousand collector value that I'm seeing. In a lot of these imports are starting to to rise up at. Fair point. The uh, RX-8 R3, while a super cool car, uh, and it had a lot of neat doodads that would be really hard to replicate in the aftermarket, is only worth chump change more than a base RX-8, which in and of itself is worth almost nothing. Yeah, literally nothing. I mean, the second gens are worth, like, you know, a 12-pack of good beer. First gens are, like, Bud Light quality. Yep. That's sad the to see first gens go down so far. The first gens are yeah, basically first gens only all the time for like a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks in running yeah. but super rough shape or turns over but doesn't start. Yeah, they're one of the few cars that you can actually buy and part out the engine and transmission if you wanted to get your money back on it and then swap in something worthwhile. I've seen, I've seen K swaps that's becoming up and popular swap now. Um, I've seen Duratec swaps. I've seen the V6 swaps from the Ford um, Duratec. Um, and of or course Justin, the LS. The LS all the world. LS yeah. Yep. Justin's not here LS to say everything. It's all LS swap all the things. <laughs> and you know it fits the the rotary engine itself is a giant barrel in size. I think it's like twenty inches or something like that. And then plus the intake and exhaust, yeah. which have to go on the side, it, it has to be a wide engine bay. So you can fit you know a, a cheapy LS engine into it very easily. 
and the chassis yeah, is good. Most of the results is... about rotaries being small, they're actually shockingly wide. Down yeah. Low. Yep. Absolutely. So, what was your um, other one, so the other one I wanted to bring up as far as what should go up in value but probably won't, and this is going to be another Mazda. It's the uh, the the NC3 club spec Miata. Um, right now they're still kind of hovering around the 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 twelve to maybe the the eighteen thousand dollar range I've seen, which is now getting to the point of being worth more than the ND1. But I don't think it's going to hold, and I think it's just a Miataism. They they built way too many of them, and then the specific NC3 club package really wasn't that much of an upgrade over the the touring or grand touring models. Me personally, I do like the sticker package. And I do like the wheel package. Um, buying a car that kind of has all that together, to me, makes it worth it. But I'm, I've gotten lazier as I got older. So I'm going to go on a limb here. Uh, I actually like them in the power folded car top because they're all black tops on a whatever colored car. And I think it's a great look. But I found it interesting that the Club Sport, you know, the sportiest of the Miatas, was offered on the power folded hardtop, which can't go on a racetrack pretty much anywhere because there's like no roll bars that fit it. Yeah. I just don't know what Mazda was thinking there. But uh, you're probably dead on about them not going up a ton in value. I do find it interesting the relation between the late NCs and the early NDs mm -hmm. as they're now starting to cross over in price a lot. There's a lot of overlap there. Yep. For my money right now, I would think that a super nice minty late NC is actually going to be a better buy than an early ND. Just throwing it out yep. there. Uh, I feel Especially better about the L-Series MZR over the new, or over the early Sky Active motor and trans. Yeah. Yeah, both both that uh, the L-Block. The MZR or... is uh, time-tested and proven to hold yep. a lot. Yep, and that transmission, I think, um, is the, the ASIN AY6, which shows up in multiple different cars, and it is a good, reliable, 354-pound rated transmission. And so you could flog that NC, I think, mercilessly without having any issues outside of, I think the early years, the very early years, had an oiling problem, um, but the, the NC2 and 3 fixed that. And I, I really think that they just... Yeah, the 2 and 3 some actually of the got best... forged rods, or sorry, forged pranks. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're just some of the best deals you can get, a... and and there's a swap that you could do to get more power out of it, and that's the 2.5 or the Tall Deck uh, 2.3. They'll both work. Yeah, the L-Series, using the, uh, was that the Mercury Milan or the, I think it was one of the Focuses that had the 2.5 L-Series in it that they swap in. Yeah, so the Focus had the 2.3 tall deck, um, and then the Mazda 6 and the Mercury Milan slash uh, Ford Fusion, any of those cars, all had the 2.5 liter. That's your instant a tall deck uh, stroker upgrade. And it's you can do it for less than Ford 6 grand. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a pretty sweet idea. Uh, so mine, for stuff that's never going to go up in value, but it probably should... And this will be no surprise to Greg because I lament all the time about the death of this car company. The Saturn Ion Redline. Uh, Saturn was a car company that was done in before their time by terrible management and GM being GM. As they've done to everything else good they've ever made. They fix it right and then kill it because that's what GM does. That's what they're doing uh, right they now. Took, 
Yeah. So they took uh, the Ion, which was their, uh, much like the RX-8, four-door suicide rear-doored four-door coupe, if you could call it that, or just a long two-door coupe, and put the engine and trans out of the Cobalt SS, the supercharged Ecotech motor, and really outfitted it nicely with some nice options, right? Extrude honed intake manifold, uh, limited slip, you could get Recaro seats in one if you had the right option package, good sport suspension setup, and they were, I would say, a little on the aggressive looking side, but it fit with the era. You gotta look at them as like a mid-2000s, early 2000s tuner car thing, and they totally fit the image they were going for. Uh, but for whatever reason, they're hovering around five grand for a nice motor, and they're absolutely competitive with stuff for twice that price as a sport compact. And you don't have to deal with, uh, and I'll get some hate for this one, but the stereotypical Honda thing that most of the other stuff in that group has, right? Where either it has to scream to the moon to make any power, which can be fun, but a lot of times just isn't. Or it's a absolutely soulless uh, one-and-a-half liter direct-injected four-cylinder that makes a big wall of torque in the middle of its band and is just blatantly uninteresting to drive. This thing is a supercharged two-liter mill. It makes cool, positive displacement eating noises, and everybody knows screaming eating noises are awesome. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like screaming eating noises, you're probably a contest. Uh, actually, I'd even argue that because some guys in Russia love those eatings. <laughs> yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. Maybe even the communists love it. I don't know. Yeah. If you don't like the sound of a PD blower whining, I just, I'm not sure if you're a car guy, man. I don't know if I can associate with that. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they don't make as much power. They make the right noise, and they feel yep. awesome. Uh, the other one I'm going to go with is the late 80s to early 90s Thunderbirds, both the Turbo Coupe and the Super Coupe. Kind of a mishmash here, but uh, let me roll with it. The Turbo Coupe was, in my opinion, the pinnacle of Fox Body technology. Uh, slightly stretched, slightly heavier Mustang Fox Body with a great chassis overall. Uh, and the best of the 2.3 turbo Lima technology tree. The last of them were intercooled, had the best uh, airflow and everything else. They regularly make 300, 350 horse under uh, what I would call bolt-ons. I mean, you know, turbo and all that stuff, but still stock internals. Well, don't forget the stamp steel rockers and other items that you could keep enough parts in your pockets to fix one when you busted it at the drag strip. Yeah, there's so many of them that, uh, you know, make a run down the drag strip with a gigantic hole stitch strapped on the side of this poor little thing. <laughs> Flings a rocker off because of a misshift and zinging up to eight grand, and dude just grab a junkyard rocker, stick it on, put it back in, make some more passes. They're like the American version of the DSM. Like, uh, the SC was slightly better in a lot of ways, slightly heavier, but the 3.8 supercharged mill, also a ton of fun for a ton of different reasons. Neither one of these two Thunderbirds is worth anything these days. I mean, maybe three, four hundred bucks more than a base model Thunderbird, which is itself worth, like, what were we saying earlier, a 12-pack of beer? Yeah, mm-hmm. like, that's what a T-Bird's worth these days. Yeah. Uh, so what about you, Steve Senior? You got for stuff that's not going to go up in value, but oh it should. God. There's so many things. Um, right now, off the top of my head, uh, let me start back on order and things that I think are going to go up in value and I'm going to get a lot of hate for this but there's a bunch of them out there and they're not very expensive and I'm talking about the only other two 
eight liter mid-engine car that GM made, which was the Pontiac Fiero. Now hear me out on this. A lot of people referred to the Pontiac Fiero when it came out as the baby vet. And with GM now having a vet that is mid-engine, I think you're going to see people that are going to start taking these things back out of the woods. They're already kind of rare. They didn't produce these in huge numbers. But I think they're going to actually go up. I mean, when you're on the bottom, where else can you go? You, you know, stay you there because you're a GM product. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, and it was also some of the first dealings with the, uh, I forget, they had a special name for those plastic body panels that they put on yeah, them. Yeah, it's and a FRP, fiberglass reinforced yeah, plastic. Yeah, they had their own little in-house name for, for some kind of special name for their plastic body work. Um, but the frames on the things are pretty rigid, and God knows there's all kinds of upgrades that you can put just about anything, including LS it in the back. And I think a lot of people are gonna. I think you're gonna see them actually start ticking up. I mean, the only people that want them are the are the people that are part of their fanboy clubs. Uh, as far as something that should be going up but isn't. You're going to have to circle back around to me on that one. There's a lot of good stuff out there. What was I write down here earlier? Oh, Steve and I were talking about this just earlier this evening. Uh, I don't know why they never went up in value. Corbairs. Uh, other than Ralph Nader putting a, a hammer, death hammer stroke into those things so badly. And I never understood that because the early BW Bugs had the same kind of suspension as the Corvairs had in the back. Everybody loved the Bugs, but nobody liked the Corvair because of Ralph Nader, and I guess because it was a GM product or something, I don't know. But they have consistently stayed, even the decent ones, in the four to five grand range, and they just never go anywhere. Don't understand it. Yeah, it's a, that's a solid point. We were actually looking at that just prior to taping this. And uh, even the super rare uh, spawn, the, the ramp side, the ramp Corvair side truck, door. which had a loading ramp built into the side of the mm -hmm. truck, was uh, we saw a super nice, like, 60,000-mile one for five grand. Five, yeah. That's basically, good God, man. Nothing else from the 60s was anywhere <laughs> near that kind of money. That is a solid point. Uh, I'd like to throw in an honorable mention in this group, and uh, this will be near and dear to Craig's heart. The tail end of the GM's uh, Saab Association. There's the ah. Trailblazer. There's also a sedan, the 9.3s, that were made with about half GM parts. And uh, those are going to continue to be worth almost nothing. The Trailblazers, I think, are getting there. The Saab 9.7s. And the Saab 9.2, which is the Subaru the Sabaru, yeah. The Sabaru. But the tail end of Saab's uh, death spiral, nothing they were making was actually made by Saab. And all of it has really commonly available parts from the various people that they were sourcing all their stuff from. So they're all actually much better than people think they are. Not the Saab that you've got to go to the dealership to get the parts for. Yeah, right. What's that, Craig? Is it inarguably the Saab variant of each of those models is going to have a better interior? Um, those interesting specifically to the. I 100% vouch the, for that for the Sabaru and the Trailblazer. The Saab yeah, variants okay. of both of those are way better than the originals. 
Yeah, the the Sabaru kind of came out, and it's it only came with wagon, unfortunately. If they made a you know a sedan version of the GD body style, it would probably have rock socks. But they actually used those interior bits for the premium edition of the I think the outgoing 0607 WRX STIs. Yep. And it was just kind of a, a big, yep. like, why didn't it come from the factory like this? Type of a yeah, type right. of idea because Saab really just took care of the people, <laughs> in a way. Also, why the hate for wagons? Wagons are the superior form of the sedan. Just right. throwing it out there. I mean, wagons are just a, a grown-up version of the the hatchback that everyone loves, right? Exactly. It's like the hot hatch for grown-ups is clearly the wagon. Well, but, you know uh, why? For stuff that's going up in value, Craig. So stuff that's going up in value. This is kind of the hard part of predicament um because you have to look at stuff and be like oh this thing is now worth x amount today tomorrow it's going to be worth more um uh well i'm going to say it right now i think the uh the mopar a body is finally going up in value um was that i was just lamenting about this yeah, the the Duster, the Dart, the uh, the Dart Sport, the original Demon from seventy seventy one, and uh, what is the it? The scamp? outgoing. I think is the A body right? The Scamp. Yep. And yep. the Roadrunner. The scamp. Oh, the Roadrunner. Not the Roadrunner. Road no. No, no you'd have to go to the early. Right? Yeah, you'd have to go to the early year. Um, the early early year. Uh, sixty four, sixty five, Barracudas were A bodies as well. Um. For the for the longest time, the Mopar A body has been kind of forgotten about in the the muscle car arena compared to the likes of the the Camaro, the Mustang, your B body and C body Mopars. And just now, I'm starting true. to see. Last, uh, Go ahead. 100. Last five or six years, I definitely remember seeing like Voltaires and some of the maybe not Demons and stuff, but you know Voltaires and Scamps and like base model Dusters or four door Dusters go for peanuts. Because nobody wants them. Yeah, and now they become such a well well known chassis, so easy to throw parts at. You can just bolt on anything. You can even do an LS swap to it for dirt cheap, and you have a, a light, less than you know thirty four hundred pound chassis that's rear wheel drive with a solid axle. There's really not much to not love about it. And then you get you know more parts looks, which is arguably distinctive enough to say that it's good looking. Although some of those later year dusters got kind of hideous in the front. To be fair, pretty much everything in the late 70s got hideous. Yeah, and then... America couldn't yeah. seem to figure out how to build anything that wasn't ugly. That's true. Yeah, absolutely right on that. But I think that's going to be the next the next up-and-coming, you know, classic car, stuff that's starting to get on the rise. You know, I bought a... I can see that. I bought a Duster Hell, that had a 318. still get with a stick, too. Yeah. A bunch of them yeah. still had a 3 or 4-speed in them. Absolutely, and those those four speeds are not expensive to find. You know, everyone's struggling over how to find these five and six speeds for their muscle cars or the Muncies or Saginaws, and the the A eight thirty three is still yeah, being Muncies built. Muncies and top loaders are big money, but Mopar yep. trans not so much. Yep, you can still That's find one point. for less than six hundred bucks and buy parts not for it. Not only that, if you're willing to go, if you're willing to go on the automatic side, back in that time period, the seven twenty seven was just about unbreakable. Yeah, it was the it was the big block automatic at the time. It yeah. it outshone it, pretty it much was, anything else. Yes, it was what was used on the track strips behind four twenty six Hemi's and such. So, mm-hmm. 
Oh, Nobodies. Yeah. And even then, the even uh, snatch up all the dusters you can find. <laughs> yeah, and you know they've they've had a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, I think Tony Angelo has rebuilt like two of them now. Uh, I know Roadkill loves their Abodies, um, and there's just more so, attention going to them. I was just gonna say that I picked up a duster. Shoot, seven years ago now, about for literally my tax return, right? It was less than a thousand dollars. Picked it up out of a guy's junkyard or uh, a guy's front yard, got it running within a couple days. Um, Same difference. Yeah, you know, it was buried up to its hubcaps in 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 the grass. You know, this thing was, you know, it was a high school like father son project car, but yeah, I got it up and running, and I had a three eighteen powered seventy four duster for less than. I think after all said and done, like five or six grand, ended up flipping it and making some good money off of it. And now I regret it because you can't find a five or six grand 318 duster anymore. Um, that was yeah, that was can be a great one for people looking for a, a first project, right? Because uh, me and Craig yeah. talked about this a bunch of times. Like it doesn't have to be the perfect car. Just get something with a V8 that does sweet burnouts and just make it rock. Uh-huh. I'm actually liking the ideas you're talking about it because I'm thinking about how much nice. Uh, new late model 5.7 Hemi gear there is that could be dropped inside of the old A-bodies and, and would not keeping it in the same go ahead yeah yeah it would I, the the Gen 3 Hemis the 5.3 the 6.2 yes. or 6.1 yes. and the 6.4 yes they exist I would not swap them into an A-body it's too expensive if you're going to go any V8 you know 4.8 and a 4L60 drop it in you have the same amount of power it costs you one third as much a fraction, or, yeah. Or me and Craig have talked true. about this before that the 5.9 LA motor could make a sweet power plant in an old A body for dirt. That's true. It I is. Mean, it's basically it is the same as the 360. It is the it 360. Is that's what, I mean. That's that's what yeah. like I don't think the younger generation realizes it. It is the 360. It is a updated block design, but it is still hardy and rugged. The heads are yep. complete trash. But you're gonna do a swap anyways to go back to carbureted heads. Right. But you can go but to the junkyard. Carbureted find heads on the new small block. Oh, yeah. yeah, or the new short block, sorry, and boom, there's your solid, what'd you figure, that's like a 300, 350 horse? Oh yeah, but you can get that out of a junkyard. Easy, easy. And well, that's the weird part, it is the closest talk about this, right? The 5.9 LA yeah. motor is worth nothing in the junkyard. Yeah, I mean, go find yourself a Durango RT with a 5.9 in it, you're going to pay nothing for that. Or any yeah. of the approximately one bajillion rams that they made that's true. with a 5.9 in them. That's true. And, and even if you don't find a 5.9, and I, I argue this, I can test this all the time, if you don't find a 5.9, if you find the 3.18 version, the 5.2, that is still yeah, 5 liters five of V8. Yeah. yeah, it's still exactly. it's still a 5 liter V8. You know, you can still make pretty good power off of that. It's just not as legendary as an almost 6 liter V8. Um, and and those new LA, the new gen LA motors, they came with, I think, three different manual transmissions, and they're all backwards compatible to the earlier year stuff. Dodge really kind of threw us a bone by making that and throwing all this R&D into it. And then, you know, you want to talk about Lego blocks. They're, in so many ways, I think the LA design is so much better than the old small block Chevy. It's just that people just don't appreciate it as much. Yeah. All right, I'm, get, I'm getting off my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Craig, step off the Mopar soapbox. I, I love my A-bodies. If you have a 67, Mopar, 68 no Dart. It's Craig right here. Yeah, it says the guy who owns a sh- two Chevys and fucking Subaru. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Craig's like, by the way, All everybody's right. looking to sell a, a 67 two-door Dart. Hit him up on Instagram. 
67, 8, or 9. Or I think in 9 they went to the, the, the scamp name or whatever else. I'll, I'll fucking... I'll take it. Uh, all right. Uh, man, so mine, my suggestions for stuff that I think is going to be going up in value. And, uh, you know, I'm usually on the oddball side of these discussions anyway. Uh, one, the Solstice and Sky Twins. Yeah, I was going to mention that too. Yeah. I, yep. I think they're criminally underappreciated, but I don't think that's going to last. Some point in the near, like very near future, people are going to realize like they're lightweight, uh, turbocharged four cylinder, you know, good power to I think 260, 270 horse stock, something like that, somewhere in the mid 300s with a tune. Uh, they're performance wise very much equivalent to a C5 vet in, uh, you know, a sport tuner ish package for less money than an NC Miata way cheaper than S2000s or any of the other stuff that's actually relatively speaking fast and I'd put good money that they're probably faster than an S2000 by a good bit when you're when you're pushing 290 horsepower off of a factory installed turbo upgrade kit in the red line it's going to be faster yeah. than S2000 yep. this thing makes I'm looking at the yep. stats here it makes 340 foot pounds of torque it only weighs I think 200 250 pounds more than an S2000 and in no way shape and or form is the red line so 5000 rpm sooner yeah, and in no way, shape, or form is this chassis underdeveloped compared to the Corvette. This the Bob Lutz was actually this is his one of his little brainchilds, and this yep. car is phenomenal by every definition of the meaning. It's it's it was just I think it succumbed to the the general GM thing of where they they took a great idea and a great chassis, and then they boogered it up with the 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 livability of it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll give you that. Do you want to like, talk the about top that? Operation of, yeah, the top operation of the Solstice yeah. in the Sky is just trash. It's straight it's, up off. It's terrible. Trunk, it's completely garbage. worthless. But none of that matters from a, one, for a collector standpoint, and two, uh, from a driving standpoint. None of that matters. They drive awesome. They look like nothing else on the road. And I think eventually that's going to come around, and that eventually is going to be fairly soon. I would even go yeah. a step further and say that I think the the sky um, um, is the better looking of oh, the two. Far. I think the Pontiac uh, played it a lot safer, and the sky definitely seemed to be a lot more edgy. Yeah, the only other thing to go along with this, there is also the tail end of production. The Solstice had a coupe variant, the Solstice GXP coupe. Those are already starting to get stratospheric in value, and then I think that's a precursor to the rest of the line. Gonna yeah, start with them, those... and then eventually all of the turbo models are going to start climbing. Yeah, I think those GXPs, they were like very much like the uh, the GA GXP. I think they never actually went down in value. They just kind of maintained themselves, and then they just got increasingly more, you know, desirable. Yeah. More people wanted them. For sure. That's another one, speaking of the G8s, that I think the Caprice PPVs are going to start going up eventually. But I would not I would not go so far as to try and hazard win. Because yeah. all of those are going to be in super rough shape by the time they come out of the police fleets. Yeah. Uh, so my other one, going along with the stuff going up, was actually uh, water-cooled, so first-generation water-cooled 911s. The 996 and 996. Yep. Yep. The IMS bearing issue has pushed the values of all of these down really far. And the fried egg headlights, that definitely didn't help any. But, uh, so here's my stance on this, right? Uh, as old as they all are now, 
a lot of them have gotten a ton of malware. Most of them have either had the IMS bearing refit done, or they just weren't affected. Right, that recall only affected a certain batch of IMS bearings going bad. And I'm just going to go on a limb and say it, like, by the time you've got a car with, you know, 120, 140,000 miles on it, either it's had the IMS bearing replaced, or if it's made it to 140K on the original one, sounds like it probably wasn't one of the bad ones in the first place. Yep. Yep. Uh, I agree. Absolutely agree with that. But they're great drivers. Porsche uh, has a long-standing record of being one of the exotics that you can actually drive and put miles on and stuff. Yep. I would even contest that they're the ones that fall apart if you don't drive them. Right. And I think that those are going to be the ones that start going up in value as a, uh, you know, not counting the Boxster, obviously, as the poor man's Porsche, but as the entry into Porsche-dom. Absolutely. Go ahead. I think it's one of those cases, too, that I was talking with Stephen earlier this evening that there's some car companies that have picked upon a formula for making a car and it's literally uh what are you going to do to improve it well we we made it right the first time we're not going to change anything and the 911s for the last 40 years is pretty much the car if you drove a 60s version you drove any of them they're all the same Uh, they pretty much got it right out the gate and why mess with it when it's when it's working incremental improvements it has worked for him for a long time. Mm-hmm. So uh, honorable mention in this category of uh, stuff that I think is going up or that I see trending up. Pretty much all, and this is a whole group of cars, but the tail end of the 80s, the American manufacturers were making crap. Uh, well, there's that, but <laughs> besides the crap, they were making full-framed wagons that seat like seven to nine people. Right, everybody remembers the, uh, the 70s show, the Vista Cruiser. Mm-hmm. Right. Ford had the LTE wagon. There's very just various wagons. Buicks, uh, and all of them seem to be cli- yeah, all of them seem to be climbing. Even falling up into the early '90s with the Buick Roadmaster wagons are getting dumb. Uh, the Chevy Caprice wagons, all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're uh, they're an interesting one. They're all climbing in value. They're not. They haven't started climbing hard yet, but they're going to. Especially any of them that are. Radwood-esque, like a digital dash, wood-paneled nineties yeah. oh, yeah. uh, road roadmaster or something like that. Oh yeah, they're gonna be big money soon. Absolutely, I I agree with that to a T. Actually, yep. the uh, I actually wanted to put it in. Go ahead. Go ahead. All oh, right. I, I wanted just to just go ahead and. <laughs> you guys are terrible. At this. What we're talking about is yeah. talking over each other. Uh, no, it's all good. Go ahead, Mister. There you go. For uh, for my pick for the one that I think is going to go up, uh, it's a little bit odd, but uh, for some people like me, you could look at it as it's coming down into a price range that uh, it can be gotten again if you weren't able to afford it the first time, and uh, that's the. Acura NSX, or I would even go so far as to say almost any of the Acura from the late, mm, we'll say the late 90s to the early 2000s, right in the same time that the NSX came out. Mostly I see it as going up is because it was the affordable man's sports car, and it was basically made by Honda. Uh, 
um, like a Ferrari or something else that you, you had to put in the shop every 6,000 miles. This was the thing that was basically a supercar that you could uh, change the oil in it and uh, put plugs in it at 100,000 and it each on ticket. Uh, now that they've come out with the NSX, uh, the latest version, I don't think it's nearly as good as the original version that came out. And I think it uh, definitely doesn't have nearly the soul that the originals had. And I think it's going to cause the demand for the originals to go up. And there's still some nice examples out there in the $30,000, $35,000 range, which is a lot of money for a car that's 15 to 20 years old. But if you think of it as a decent amount of money for a very good condition exotic sports car, there's going to be a good run on those for going up in prices. And solid point. I would even extend that on to some of the other Acura products like the Willis's and other things. Uh, just like Stephen was saying a little while ago when GM and the American markets were producing some less than stellar quality products, Lexus was making some absolutely phenomenal products and could nail their price for almost nothing. Those are coming up in value, like LS400 and stuff. Exactly. But I think the drifters are actually what's pushing those up in value. <laughs> yep. It's so cheap V8 rear-wheel drive. 100%. I think that's yeah, cheap V8s that you it's can fly. It's V8 and rear-wheel drive, and it's a large vehicle. That's that's awesome. Yeah, they are totally pushing those up. Uh, so right. speaking of other Acuras, uh, this one kind of goes into something Craig's going to talk about, so I'll let him get into that. But uh, a friend of ours just recently is trying to sell a TSX with the K24 six-speed combo. Which is arguably a better Integra than the Integra ever was. That's true. Yes. But he's Minus finding size. that the market for them is really low. Minus size. Yes. I'll grant that, but still. But uh, he's finding the market for them is really low. Like, it's honestly cheaper to buy a TSX or RSX than it is to buy an Integra. Integra's got the name. Yeah, well, sure. But, I mean, the K24, uh, and I'll, I'll fight somebody on this one, the K24 is a better mill than the V-Series ever was. Yes. Yes. In every way. I don't think anyone uh, should fight have... you on that. Be, it's a natural evolution of the engine. It's just, it's like it's like going from the D-Series to the B-Series. The B-Series was just better in every way because it had more tech involved. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, didn't you have something about Civics in yours as well, Craig? Yeah, so I wanted to actually get back to the other honorable mentions for stuff that should go up in value. Yeah. Or they they might, and it's another Mopar, and I hate to get on this box again. Actually, all three of mine in the domestic category are Mopars. Um, we'll lightly touch on one. Yeah. We'll lightly touch on one, and we'll kind of glance over the other one. But do you guys remember in the late 70s, the Mopar Aspen kit cars? Aspen. I hear crickets. Yeah, the Aspen and the Volair. Straight. No, no, no underarm. Oh, wait, wait, the Volair. No, okay. that does seem vaguely familiar. The I do remember something yep. about a Volair. The, the Richard Petty edition of the Aspen, and then you had the Volair RT package or the Roadrunner package. These cars were known as the oh. next alliteration of what the A-body would become, and they were horribly mm. choked mm -hmm. out, smogged up V8 engines, but... They had massive, massive, massive all-metal box flares. They had hood louvers, roof louvers, side window louvers, big rear wings that came with, I think, 16s. They were just gnarly to look at, and I think they are the next 
alliteration of what a muscle car is going to another muscle car that is should be going up in value and right now for being as rare as they are i think there's less than 600 of them made in the u.s total i think you can find them for five to six grand uh, maybe a nicer one up to closer to 10 but they i think they're going to be pushing thirty thousand in a couple of years here because they are a perfect radwood car eyes, they still come with a v8 my eyes, are, all that style my eyes are literally bleeding right now because a web page just, <laughs> just popped up with all of these NASCAR versions of Richard Petty's Aspen. Oh, my God. Yep. So, Craig, uh, yep. I, had, I had to Google it... this because uh, this is honestly the first time in any of our discussions that I've ever had uh, somebody mention a car that both me and the old man were like, what? <laughs> this has got to be related to the to that four-wheel drive sport utility vehicle that started the whole thing. First off, don't hate on the Eagle. That, I was yeah, I was going to say, the say Eagle is righteous. Related to the Eagle. Eagle's it righteous. is righteous, but God, it was horrendously ugly. Shut your lying mouth. The Eagle is all that is right in the American car world. It was the crossover before the crossover, before the soccer moms it took was. it over and ruined it. It was. Yeah. If they had made it into a station wagon, it would have been perfect. That, it was, was a station wagon. It was a little station wagon. Oh, God. Yes. I just remember seeing the hatchbacks yes. of them. Yeah, no, it, it yes. existed as a four-door wagon. It is all hey, that is I'm good. not hating. You could still get, what was it, the 306 engine? Yeah, you could get the AMC, the AMC, AMC Dauntless V8 with a four-speed manual oh, and yeah. all-wheel drive. Sorry, I'll step down off my soapbox oh, now, yeah. but uh, the Eagle is all that's right in the world, and everybody else that's building crossover utilities right now, you're wrong. Hey, I'm, I'm down for throwing some money into the pot, and I say we take it to the, to the what was that, the car <laughs> rally? You see an Eagle finished at the car, we'll know yeah, what happened. There you go. Yeah, I don't know. I Clearly, don't know what's going to happen. So, Stephen, I sent what's you a that? couple links to the Dodge Street Kit Car, which is the Dodge that nobody remembers. And this is how hardcore of a Mopar fan you know that I am. I'm going to shift gears though, because I'm going to mention it. People are going to look it up and go, "What the fuck?" And they're probably going to close the page and not think about it ever again. That's fine. I'll buy two or three. They'll go up in value. I have retirement now. The other car that should go up in value and it hasn't quite yet. Um, Steven knows his car. It's near and dear to our, our upbringing from back in the, back in the early, uh, 2000s. It's the, the Neon SRT4, also known as the Skittle, mm-hmm. affectionately. Mm-hmm. Um, I the think, yes. like, I think like the Saturn Ion Redline, they're just kind of slept on, but even more so that everyone knew about the SRT4. Everyone had one. And then as time went on, I think they just kind of faded to obscurity, but they're still a rather punchy little bastard of a car. Go so ahead, Steven. Things to break into here real quick. And uh, Craig, Craig's letting me rip on this one because he knows how much of a proponent I am of that whole program. Uh, so this era, right, the Neon was built for a purpose and for a price point, a very specific price point. So uh, for those of you that don't know, the Neon retailed for $19,990. So under 20 on the dot. So is it to be and the fastest under 20 as the exactly. news media had it? Fastest car under $20,000. And it took that title happily. But part of getting it there, uh, Neon SRT4s have power windows in the front and crank windows in the back <laughs> doors of their four doors. Yep. Because that's how tight they were on the budget to make this thing cheap enough to get it under there. Uh, however, of the other stuff it competed with, right? The Mazda Speed 3, the Volkswagen GTI. It was, in my opinion, for the time, exactly an expression of Americana. And it's exactly what Dodge does best, right? They took this little shitbox chassis, stiffened it up, and it actually is a decent handling chassis. It is a very good chassis. Yeah. 
and they shove a metric shit ton of power into it with no consideration of things like torque steer. boost by gear limiting, mm-hmm. torque steer, some sort of electronic nanny, nanny silliness to make it not off, you know, not terrifying to drive. No, no. Dodge was like, let's put all the torque in it. And what are we going to do about the torque steer? Let's put Ship a limited it. slip in. What are we going to do when it spins both front tires? Hold on. Hold on. That's pretty much it. <laughs> put, a, put, a, put a shock absorber on the steering column. Yeah. And then Dodge, being Dodge, was like, hey, you know what? Just make this more awesome. Let's sell the Mopar Stage 3 kit through the dealer <laughs> so you can make like 300 horsepower to the front tires yep. and wrap it all yep. up in your financing package. That'll be great. For, and warranty it. For the people who are unawares out here, this is a little front-wheel drive nugget of a car that made, at the time, the Subaru and the Lancer, you know, top runners, the Evolution and the STIs, shake because this car weighed less than 3,000 pounds from factory was dynoing over 240 wheel horsepower and dodge had the audacity to outfit this thing i think it says right here with factory 17 by 6 inch cast aluminum wheels with 205 michelin super sports or pilot sports sorry yeah so sport cups yeah so this car this car was a brawler and and you heard from steven you can get it factory retuned for even more horsepower and it wasn't it wasn't unheard of to hear these guys pushing 300 to the wheels in this car that weighed less than 3,000 pounds. And in the in the early 2000s, this thing, it was pulling on 350Zs. It was of course taking out all the smaller cars. We're not going to talk about the Miata and RX-8. Um, it was it was up there with the Evo and the STI and making them lose. Um, it was just it was just audacious and it was really a slap to everyone's face. And I I love them and hate them at the same time because. Of all that it is. <laughs> funny, t- funny tidbit of audaciousness also. All of the factory SRT4s left the factory without a muffler. Yeah. And this is not a game that Dodge uh, Chrysler has not played before. Because if you go back in the roots, the original the original grocery getter turned into a uh, Speed Demon, the, GL, the Dodge Omni GLHs. Uh, you literally could not get a more stripped down vehicle and somebody at Dodge said oh we should just turbocharge this and then there was level 2's and level 3's and before you knew it you had literally 275 horsepower Dodge Omnis and this was back in what the middle 80's 86 yeah 86 87 this was when you could get a Mustang with a whopping what 165 horsepower and this thing weighs half of what the Mustang does and takes twice as much power. Yeah, uh, it was it was crazy. God forbid you should get in a crash in one because it had the thickness of a beer can. But uh, it was a formula that worked, and they went back to it again. And seems like they keep going back to it at Mopar. Maybe they've got this whole thing figured out. They don't need styling cues or changes or anything else. We just need to put in more power. Was this a was yeah, this a Lei Coca project? Because I feel like it is. It was. It was actually the GLH was a Lei Coca project. That was when he yeah, was, was just taken over from, uh, just taken over Chrysler. And yeah. I actually kind of liked Lei Coca because he didn't take any salary, he didn't take a paycheck or anything else, and told his entire board, "If you take one, that's up to you. But if we're not making any money, you shouldn't be making any money either." Yep. So he was kind if of you guys... led from the front. 
yeah if you guys haven't ever heard of the the youtube channel regular car reviews they're the the main host on there mr regular he actually has a, a i think a very good in-depth view at lee iacocca and it's done in his kind of slapstick humor that's not really seen upon much these days but it is actually going it's worth plugging and going to look out it goes over the whole history about lee iacocca and the, the revolution that he did for chrysler and bringing it back from its knees up to you know a company that actually turned out things like the Viper and of course the SRT4 and all that. It's it's worth it. Talk about a talk about a gifted dude of being in the right place at the right time. Wasn't Iacocca also responsible for the Mustang coming out for Ford? He was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You want to talk about a big shaker in the automotive world? Uh, yeah. I'm just saying, uh, you leave Ford after doing the Mustang and you go to Chrysler. I mean, how fortuitous can you be? And my understanding was that. Iacocca went over to Asia and looked at the way the Japanese were making cars for several years before he decided that, hey, we need to do this if we're going to compete. We can't just keep making smaller and smaller engines. We've got to do a complete change in the way that we make our cars. I mean, he's literally kind of responsible for the whole compact car movement coming back to America. For sure, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, so, like I said, we're going to keep that brief. And... Uh-huh. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, one more on the notepad as we're shifting gears again, getting off the Mopar soapbox <laughs> once again. <laughs> Damn it. God uh, bless it. I love them. Mm-hmm. Amy actually, uh, my wife Amy, actually had a sweet honorable mention that I had not considered, but she is dead on as we were talking about this. Uh, the current generation, which is dead for this year, rest in peace, Ford Fiesta. The, yeah, the ST. Uh, well, sure, the ST or any of them, really. The three-cylinder EcoBoost is the one I particularly love, uh, primarily because I own one. And I've right. owned two of them now. But you just like an engine that you can sneak onto your carry-on luggage. Yeah, would you like an engine you can hoist out <laughs> without a hoist? Uh, but no, I have a lot of love for that whole chassis, right? The chassis handles great. A lot of the rally teams use that as a front wheel drive, as the basis for a front wheel drive rally, and all wheel drive, and all wheel drive in a few cases. But I won't go into that. But it's a great handling front wheel drive chassis, right? Classic torsion beam stuff, lift throttle oversteer, good yep. times. Uh, but the values on them are in the tank because of the Ford PowerShift transmission debacle mm-hmm. with their automated clutch manual that is just a complete cluster. Complete cluster. But the thing is that value tanking is going to play out well for the for the manual transmission Fiestas and hold their values up, I think, quite well. Well, not they're going to hold their value up, I mean, but they're going to be good cars that you can get for a cheap price right now. And then after everybody figures out the whole, you know, there were some of them that weren't affected by the automatic transmission debacle, that the remainder of them are going to be great values. I just got a question about those little cars. The three-cylinder EcoBoost, mm-hmm. that only came with the five-speed, correct? Correct. Has anybody ever done the six-speed swap? Why? As far as I know of, nobody's done it, but yes, it does fit. Okay. Yes. Like, bolt pattern-wise, but it does fit, because that, tra- that engine comes with a six-speed in the Focus. Mm-hmm. You can get a Focus with a one-liter three-cylinder right. and a six-speed manual. Right. And it's in the European version of the new ST, I think, went down to the three-cylinder with the six-speed. 
Yeah, it's I a little fatter three cylinder. It's a one and a half used, liter. Uh, you talk about yeah. your soapbox rant. I used to get on my soapbox rant about why Europe's got so much better cars than we did. And you know what? At, at first, I thought it was just stupidity on Ford's or on the American auto manufacturers. It's the people. No, it's the American people. It's, it's the what American they people. I hate to say it, but we have had some awesome cars come over here. And the noses have been turned up, and the, and the car companies just go, well, that didn't work. We're not going to try that again. Yeah, 100%. It's the American people, man. I'd like my uh, beige on beige uh, crossover utility five-seater, please, <laughs> preferably <laughs> the most Edward. inoffensive droney mid-1.8-ish liter four-cylinder direct-injected mill. And while you're on it, we'll go ahead and kill the uh, the one of the best wagons or station wagon names of all time, and just make it completely obscure. I don't even think, I don't think Buick even makes their version of the the, the wagon anymore or the estate, if you will. Um, I know no, for sure Regal BMW doesn't bring one to the U.S. Yeah, yeah, I think Audi's making one. Core X is a great car. Uh, yep, it's also dead now, but the CTSV wagon was a thing that existed. Yes, and it was nice. Even the GM execs, the guys over at the at the V program, were willing to admit that like five people were going to buy the V wagon, and they built it anyway. God bless them for it. Yes. God bless the five that bought them. <laughs> right. Those actually, uh, much like some of the other stuff we've talked about, they do not appear to have depreciated any from their new price that they got not at, all. at new price, and they're still worth that much money at least. If not, yeah, if not more well, now. I gotta give their marketing department props on on the V uh, Cadillac years and years ago was a performance brand as well as a luxury brand. And when the V wagon started, that was that. Yes. This was we're talking about back in the forties and the fifties. Oh, okay. Um, you could still get a stick shift back then, and suddenly the marketing department comes to life when this new V comes out, and you can get a stick shift in a Cadillac again. And then they have the audacity to take it to Nuremberg and other places and start showing this thing for what it is. And that's really what attracted their newer buyers. That's a fair point. So uh, me and Craig right, got into cars, uh, I would say, somewhere in the 90s for both of us. Yep. And every Cadillac that was on the road in the 90s no, was it sucked. It's <laughs> Every Cadillac in the 90s sucked. Absolutely. Well, even the stuff me... that was on the road from the 70s and 80s was also awful. Well, it was also garbage. What was that? With the exception of what was that, the XLRS or something that they made back then? That nah, was, wasn't until the 2000s. Is that in the 2000s? Okay. Yeah. And, and I just got to say one thing about that, North Star, the de- giant yeah. debacle that yeah. that was for Cadillac. Have you ever taken a North Star engine apart? Uh, oh no, my you God. just... T- I, I've seen... <laughs> I've seen number two pencils that had more meat to them than, than the valve uh, <laughs> bolts had, or I'm sorry, the, the head bolts had on the North Star engines. But if you saw the last generations, like all things GM, the last ones are the ones where they get all the problems worked out. Uh, the last ones actually didn't have any problems, and they got that all dealt with. But I swear to God, the cylinder head bolts on the uh, first and second gen North Star engines, I I'd be lying if I thought they were any bigger than three-eighths of an inch. They were freaking tiny. Yep. Yep. Yeah, shout out for anybody that uh, happens to know somebody out there in the wild world of listening. Uh, if somebody at Caddy wants to talk about that new hot VV8, please, for the love of God, call me, because I want to know what's up with that thing. 
in the twin turbo yeah. V eight with the turbochargers in the V. Yes, we go. That's just uh Mercedes has been doing that for the last couple of years though. And, and for some stupid reason, yeah, they don't want it to like actually make power. Uh, all of the worst designs that they came up with at Cadillac seem to find their way over to, into the Corvette bin because it, it had to be Cadillac that could put the starter and the alternator in between the V okay, and, convinced, so... and convinced Corvette that, oh yeah, this is a great place to put it. Let me straighten that one out real quick. Uh, the LT5 actually yeah. predates the North Star by That's quite true. a bit. That's true. So that was, uh, the LT5 was the first of the GMs to do the starter in the middle of the valley under the intake manifold mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I'm not defending it saying it's a good idea, it's an awful idea, but in the case of the Corvette with a dual overhead cam motor in it, I understand why they did it. Well, there's no place I mean, else, yeah. nowhere else to put it. It's the same as it's the same as the Lexus and the 1UZ. Its starter was in the valley as well, but there's no other place to put it on on the engine transmission. It's There's no other place to put it. Yeah, you look at the engine trans in the car and you, you start to understand why they did it that way because you look at it and you're like, well, I mean, at some point you just start running out of options. It's kind of like and that, eventually when you get it all apart, you go, hey, that actually made sense. There was no other place to put it. Yep. That the one UZ was Lexus's little brainchild, and I can go on for a couple hours on it. That engine is yep. so fat headwise, it is bigger than some big blocks. And it is only four liters of displacement. It's impressive. Uh, the the original uh, the original um, what was that the four point six dual overhead cam that Ford had? Uh, oh yeah, the mid nineties. The uh, mid nineties Mark Eight was the, the first of the dual cams. Yeah. That was the the dual overhead cam motor literally was bigger than a Ford four sixty. Yep. Just because of the heads being so fat. Yep. And for the life yep. of me, I've never understood how you could have all of the perfect combination of parts and still not make any power. Yeah, that's a that's <laughs> a one we'll have to show for another day. Is how does the four point six not make any power? It's and, and dual they didn't cam, have, great heads, great flow. They didn't have the problems that uh, that, that that GM had with the uh, with the engine blocks. I mean, the Texan blocks were some of the strongest aluminum blocks that Ford ever made, but Ford didn't make them. I mean, they they literally threw their hands up and said, "We'll we'll ship it out someplace and have them made," and they were awesome. If uh, if uh, GM had used uh, Texan for making the blocks in the North Star engines, the North Star wouldn't have the reputation that it's got today. Fairfax. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrangle us back into the final topic I think we wanted to cover, which is the uh, yep, yep. you are right now in between the ages of eighteen to about thirty and you're looking now at the market of the cars that are out now, trying to figure out which is gonna be the future classics. So when we're in our 60s and 70s, the ones that we get all bleary-eyed about owning or say that we have owned, and now they're worth millions. Um, so in this topic with the future classics, I'm going to start it out by going back to Ford, actually, and bringing up two very distinguished models of the Mustang. The first is going to be the S197 Boss Mustang or the Luca Seca Edition. I think those are going to be $100,000 cars easily. And... um. I would even say the S550 EcoBoost high power version of the Mustang. I think those are going to be much like the old Mustang SVOs, and they're going to be slept on for many years. And then one day you're going to wake up, and now they're going to be worth more than what they were brand new plus inflation. Yes, I can agree with that. So, what's uh, your uh, going along with those two, Craig? What's your cut on the S550 Bullet? Uh. <laughs> So the bullet holds a special place. 
yeah, the Bullet holds a special place in my heart. The The problem with it is, is that the pinnacle of the Bullet Mustang, the recreation of the original movie, was back in 2008. After that, it kind of lost its appeal, and the, the modern Bullet, the S550 Bullet, is not worth over like a performance pack one standard GT unless you absolutely have to have the Dark Highland Green with all the, the accents. And even then, I would contest a first-generation 1516 GT in guard green is more of a bullet than the new bullet is because the guard green is going to be forgotten about. That's kind of what the original bullet was all about. That's a valid point. I bet uh, down the road, a guard green 15 done up as a bullet clone is actually going to be a huge seller. Yep. Yeah. Or even if it's just debadged and then you put the torque thrusts on it, just leave it alone. Don't even paint the calipers red because red brings attention to you. You don't want attention. You want everyone just to kind of ignore it. That's the whole idea. Nope. Nope. Just in the, just in the satin black would be perfect. Yep. Fair point. That's a solid, solid point. Yep. We're looking, uh, what's that chart, Craig? 25, 30 years down the road? What's uh, yeah. new stuff right now that we're close to new that's going to be huge money win? Yep. The future, the, the true future classics, not the stuff that's coming up now, but like it will be up in the future. Well, I got to swing for the fences on this one then because. Uh, Go ahead. It's yet, to be, it's yet to be seen whether or not it's going to be accepted, um, but I think it's eventually got to go that way. And at first, this would seem unlikely because of the amount of money that it says but you said what 18 to 35 yeah in that price range okay well he's talking about age okay in, in, no, no, in, that, in, in that age range 18 to 35 uh, as crazy as this sounds a new vet the c8 I'm sorry, but it's the, the c8 vet mid-engine years and and it's it's what 60,000 70,000 now that seems a little bit much but if you were between the ages of 18 and 35, if you wanted it bad enough, you could get it. And I mean, I'm sorry, it's going to go up. As a performance car bargain, 100%. Yep. Uh, I will I will stand on that all day that for 60 grand, the C8 is the fastest thing you can buy for 60 grand right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. And I don't think anybody will argue that with me. Nope, not at all. But 30 years. So right now it's uh, 2020, right? Mm -hmm. So we'd be talking about a 1990 Corvette. 30 years old right now. Mm -hmm. A 90 Corvette has not appreciated at all. No, but a 90 Corvette is what? A C4? It's the beginning of the C4 facelift. <sighs> it was a new era Corvette. Yeah, it was, it was a plastic wedge. I'm sorry. but As is the C8, man. It's a no, new era for Corvettes. The C8's uh, mid-engined. It's, it's a whole different ball game. Mid-engined, it's missing the clutch pedal. Yeah, well, I'm just... I'm, See, I'm I want to contest... Senior, I want to contest this, all right? So you put your money on the C8, which is fine. I think it's a great car in every way. Good job, Chevy. I would argue that the prior generation C7 with the manual is going to be the collector car. It's got the same... I'm with Craig on this one. Because right it's now, got the C7 same type of dropping like a rock. Like a rock. And it's the last stick shift. And the stick shift matters. Ferrari had this issue with the 360 and the 599 as the two last gated shifter manual cars that Ferrari made, yes. and those are going to be worth more than anything else in the future because it's the last manual car. So I think the C8, even... Like the vets, it's face vets, there's, 
there's just a shit ton of them, right? Yes. Chevy makes them not yeah. plug yes. in. But, yeah. Uh, for the same kind of money, right? For 60 G's, give it another year or so, and I bet you you can pick up a C7 Z06, maybe even a C7 ZR1 for 60. Like maybe. Cool. I don't know if the ZR1 is going to ever drop, honestly. I really don't. But at a minimum, you can pick up a C7 Z06 for that kind of money. Yeah, yeah. Now, I now, a senior, I will keep a chance of appreciating. No, 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 I agree. I agree with all your points. The biggest thing I'm looking at is we've uh, launched into like a, uh, what do they call that, a transitional change with the mid-engine design yeah. and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, being as it's the first year of a true mid-engine, and let's not forget, this was something that, uh, what was his name, Anton? Oh, Duntov. Uh, Duntov. Yeah. Uh, he talked about a mid-engine car, and that was, what, in the 60s? Yeah, he wanted mm-hmm. to go mid-engine. And, and wanted to go mid-engine. So uh, I'm not saying that there aren't other cars that won't be able to make more money on. Without a doubt, I can agree with purchasing the C7 and at a lower price and, and coming up close to the prices of the C8s, you know, in the same time periods, etc. cetera. Uh, but I just see the... And yes, they make a ton of C8s, but uh, as a performance standpoint, a low mileage version in another 30 years, it's, it's going to be a pricey a pricey car. I mean, I guess my thing is always the, the first of a new new thing. Yeah. Uh, those are never the collectors. That. It's there always the that. last ones. That's true. That's yeah. True. The, and that's and that's the other thing I'd like to contest too is that the only way that the C8, the current generation C8 that we have right now, is going to be worth anything is if they did stop making it. So, if in yeah, 2020, in like three years they realize they woofed it horribly yeah, yeah, and then go back to the uh, front engine setup I'm not, with a manual. I'm not even I'm not even talking about then that. I'm talking about this money. this. I'm talking about the the petrol hybrid, you know, electric motor uh, plus the gasoline. I'm talking ooh, about if they went that route. Solid point there. Right. If and if they do the that, the C8 proper, might be like worth something. V8. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good Exactly point. right. The last seven liter supercharged all gas engine. <laughs> it's actually not a seven. It's only, what, 6.2, I think? Okay. Yeah, I think it's just their standard LT base 6.2 liter. Yeah. Which is pretty, plenty yeah, powerful no, in its no. own right, right? Direct fuel injection well, makes 400 and whatever horsepower. And you can also yeah, make that for a, a great, you know, I'm actually going to go out with the old man here on uh, stuff that I think is going to go up in value a ton. Mm-hmm. And y'all hear me out on this one because it's going to get okay. weird. It's still a Corvette. Go back another generation. The C6 Z06. Uh, the last it is, it actually is. aspirated pinnacle of Corvette goodness. Dry sump, 427 cubic inch small block. Right. And I'm not going to say no, but is it going to be the heavy... It, how can you compare that as a classic car versus like the C7 Z01? Or like the the Corvette that you had, right? The original with the LT1 motor in it. Like that... Th- those cars meant something. The, the C6... Yeah, sorry. Well, that's the my C- thing, right? I see the C6 Z06... It's kind of like the LT5. Yeah. It is the at at its time, and I would even say now, because the C6Z is the last of the naturally aspirated Vets. Yeah. And the C7Z06 is supercharged, so is the C7ZL1. And I I haven't seen anything yet, but I'm 99% sure the C8Z 
is going to be forced induction of some sort. Yep. Because that's what the world is about these days. Hell yeah, uh, brother. Yeah. yeah. Cletus, there's something about the naturally aspirated twin turbulations. All motor. Twin twin turbskis. Twin turbskis. You know, you are right. Yeah. Right yeah. now, you know, right now you can buy those C6 Z06s for less than 30. They're cheap. Yeah. Comparatively speaking, yeah, they're cheap. If you wanted to go to base model C6 too, those things are dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are, yeah, those are becoming a performance bargain in their own right, but I don't think those are going to appreciate because they made so many of them. No, that's, that's getting cheap they're enough. Not, that you they're can not special. That's getting cheap enough that you could actually afford to put it on a trailer and take it to take it to the races. Oh, yeah, C6s are down in the mid-teens nowadays. Oh, yeah. 10, 12 grand will get yeah. you into a rough C6. There's a there's another online YouTuber who actually makes a very powerful case for the C6, C7 Corvettes. It's Savage Geese yeah. and his friend. If yep. you guys want to look this up, too, he has a nice in-depth view about the C7 Grand Sport, but they talk about the C6 in regards to how those are much better performance bargains than the C8 ever could be. And yeah. in our generation now, if you wanted to pick up a car that has good OE factory support for track day mods. If you want to pick up a car now that does everything, you pick up a, a C6 or a C7 Grand Sport and flaunt it to everyone else because you have a C7. Yeah. Flex. All right, All right Steven. Guys, well, so. Run a little bit over on. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I was about to say, it's like you're the only person who hasn't brought up the whole future classic now, now. And I wanted to hear your, your idea on it. Future classic right now? Yeah. What are you talking about? Well, like the now issue. So, like, I brought up to become. Oh, as the sky and solstice, man, and the water cooled nine elevens. Oh. See, I considered those of yesteryear. I was thinking more recent. Oh, of what you can buy like newish now that's going to go up in like yeah. twenty years. Yeah, newish now because like even though Laguna Seca is a two thousand what fourteen. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Uh, yeah, your, so, your solstice is old. Yeah, <laughs> it's old now. Yeah, this one's going to be a lot of money, but I think it's actually okay. going to turn out okay. And I could okay. be wrong because the luxury cars usually depreciate god awful bad. Yeah, right. So if is I'm it a, wrong? I'm what, wrong. Is here. it American luxury? It is not. Ooh, oh, so it is going to depreciate. You're taking a big, you're taking a big risk. Oh, I'm taking a big shot. Big shot. Right? Play business. big, win big. But here's the thing: if I lose and you get stuck with it for 20 years, I mean, it wouldn't be so bad. What should have been, stand by for all the haterade, what should have been right. the new Supra if Toyota had the balls to actually build something worth a damn themselves, the LC500. Oh, I agree completely, 100%. Put my foot down, yes. <laughs> I'm over here like, I would put somebody over this. The LC500 so is the right answer. You, you'll have to forgive my ignorance. Are we talking about basically like the the next upgrade from the LFA, those types of things? Or? Technically, it's not an upgrade from the LFA. It's actually a downgrade. It is it is technically a downgrade, but at the same time, the LFA is unreachable yeah. to the common man, where the LC500 yeah, right. was supposed yeah. to be the new, yeah, the LC500 to be the new pinnacle. Is, is what, mm. It's the flagship model. It's the best of what it could be. Yeah. And for you guys who don't know what the LC500 is, it was a, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, it was a V8, that made close to 500 horsepower, but it was a true grand touring four-seat two-door car from Lexus rear-wheel drive. And it would be very much so with the modern alliteration of the new Supra um, as far as spiritual successor 
It is not, you know, an inline six twin turbo car wheel drive like this new car is, which bless them for making anyways. The real true spiritual successor is the LC 500, 100%. That's what I say. Uh, there are a lot of people that will disagree, and it doesn't. It's uh, 470 horse, if anybody's counting. Okay. And uh, sure. you know what? There's faster stuff out there. It doesn't matter. Uh, for anybody that's actually heard one of these things running in yes. person, yes. the noise they make is indescribable. Yes. Well, indescribably awesome. Uh, you guys have, have danced around this uh, pin right now, but let me go ahead and say it for them to make the new Supra Toyota to bring out the Supra and to not have designed the engine inside of it when they built 1UZs, when they built some of these other awesome engine designs, that was kind of like to me Toyota phoned it in and it's like we don't do that anymore, we'll, we'll offload it to somebody else. Well, it's not just that, right? The, and the and effort before that, right? The and Craig actually has one of these, the GT86 FRS mm -hmm. BRZ mm -hmm. combo. They phoned it in there. So I, I don't yes. know what's going on with Toyota. They phoned in. But the, uh, the new Yaris is now the IA. Um, yep, they borrowed that from Mazda. Yep. So what I'm hearing the, uh, is that everything that's good to drive that Toyota makes, Toyota doesn't actually yeah, make. Toyota doesn't make. I, no, obviously, I'm going to fight you on this, too. The new Corolla hatchback is 100% on the, the oh, TNGA Toyota platform. Very fun car oh, to drive. Okay, so, but okay, so there's, there's in-house the Toyota. There's the one exception, but I don't think it proves <laughs> the rule. I agree with you. Uh, the, the Corolla, what was that? The Corolla XRS? Oh, that was years ago. That was back when Toyota actually years did ago. stuff. That was yeah, good. I know. I know, but uh, yeah. I don't, or the, yeah, I don't know what happened yeah. to the mind. I don't know what happened to the mindset of the engineers that locked up the bean counters and threw away the key and just said, screw it, we're going to build shit that people actually want. And uh, my, my recollection was Americans that Americans didn't buy it. That's what happened. <laughs> I know. The damned Americans didn't realize what they had. Uh, if, I, if I'm not too bad mistaken, you could buy a new set of cams for that XRS motor back in the day, and that was what, like a 9510 grand RPM engine? Supposedly, that's what the bottom end was good for, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, did they have forged, uh, like a billet aluminum connecting? No, just well built. I mean, it wasn't anything great, like. No, no, no. Crazy. I was, I it was, was pretty sure. It was all forged guts, and. I was pretty sure it was all forged guts, but, but I was even thinking that the. Connecting rods were actually like billet aluminum pieces and, nah, and some other craziness. The uh, random tidbit here: the C seven Z or sorry C six Z six does have titanium con rods <laughs> because America. Because America. But in all seriousness, uh, back to my point: uh, stuff that you can buy new or newish uh, that I think is going to go up huge. I wouldn't buy new because that's never a good plan. But uh, you know, give it like a one or two year depreciation. I bet you a. LC500, or even an RCF, which is 95% the same thing. Two-door coupe, five-liter V8, all those goodies. That you can probably get for somewhere in the mid-$60,000, $70,000 range a couple years old. is going to be big in like 30 years. Yeah. Great-looking coupe, sounds amazing, drives amazing. And unlike yeah. some of the other stuff we've talked about, I have 100% confidence that that Lexus in 20 years will be exactly as nice as it is right now. Yep, hardcore facts. Especially that RCF, it's which still was... It's going to drive great. It's going to be quiet. Yep. Just in 
perfect shape because that's how they just are. How many LS400s yep. do you see running around with 150,000 miles on them that just drive great? Even more, 250, 200,000 miles. They're still driving fine. Hashtag Matt Farah and his million mile Lexus. Yeah, which apparently he got he got a ticket on when he was trying to get to his million miles. There's a funny story about what? that too if you guys can find it using the Googles. Yeah. Just sidebar. I'll have to look that up. Absolutely. But anyway, yeah, there's mine, uh, Lexus. And uh, normally I would say taking a luxury car for hoping for appreciation instead of depreciation is a huge, huge risky shot. But, uh, you know, I'll make my stance here. I think the LC500 is going to be good. Well, that's like that's like gambling on, like, the original Mercedes uh, SLR Coupe, right? Right. Those bunnies. Um, that thing, it was expensive when it came out and then kind of depreciated because that's what, that's what you know, those kind of cars Luxury do. Cars and then do, all yeah. of a sudden, and all of a sudden it flatlined and then shot up, like, vertically, just shot up overnight. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. Another car that I think the LC is going to be that same kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I'm right on this, then you know you could stand to make a ton off of one. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I buy agree. It, like twenty, thirty percent depreciated, hang on to it for a long time, and actually enjoy it as a driver for a long time, and then unload mm-hmm. it for like six times its MSRP or something dumb. Yep. Um, another right, one that I would actually you... go for it. Go for it. Sorry, like another one I was going to bring into the whole future classic, although it's kind of a couple generations. Any uh, Porsche GT3 RS, I think, is going to be worth a lot. Um, Especially the last, the current, or sorry, the last gen was, I believe, the, the last of the naturally aspirated flat sixes. Yep. Yeah, the four liter. Yep. Jethro Bovington and I are. RSs are going to be turbos. Yep. Yep. Um, Jethro Bovington and myself are blood brothers because we will foam at the mouth about how good this car is and how much we want one. This car is so good that I've actually copied the body decals onto my BRZ because I want one so bad. <laughs> if that's if that anyone's wondering why my BRZ looks like that, it's because it looks like the GT3 RS 4.0. That sounds so funny boy. because I saw did, a Dodge. Did you make a 2.5 for your cutout instead of a 4 liter? It doesn't even have a 2.5, man. It has a 2.0. Oh, sorry. 2.0 <laughs> instead yeah. of 4.0? I saw, yeah, I saw I a Dodge Ram, uh, Dodge Ram van the other day that had the full-size body decal of, like, the 340 Hemi uh, Charger on the van. The wheelbase oh, looked almost identical. Uh, so, you know, kind of made the van disappear you guys kind of caught me off guard with these uh, newer vehicles that i expect will be classics and i'm gonna go a little bit crazy for you uh, some of the people listening to the uh, podcast might not know what a uh, holden commodores are and no this is normally not a vehicle that we can get into the states but they also make a very cool looking holden ute Commodore that looks an awful lot like the concept car that GM put out that was going to be the what was the name of that uh, uh, the, the Monte Carlo uh, turn uh, El Camino El Camino yeah. be like the 2019 El Camino uh, but there is a way to import left hand drive uh, Holden Utes legally into the United States 
and if I was going to pick something that I thought was going to be a classic, um, sorry, that's got my bid because something that looks like a modern day El Camino, uh, basically made by GM. There's a few people that have started that swap using uh, what yeah, that well, I'm G8s saying, or something I'm as saying, the basis. I'm saying you don't yeah. even have to do the swap. Yes. Without a yes, weird title. Yes, that's a that's an interesting one. I don't know if they're gonna go up or not, just because every time we've had uh, car truck things here yes. in the states, yes, it's they not have done really well. poorly. No, but... I agree. I agree. But it would be a classic, whether it would be recognized or not. But it would be a classic. I know what I got. No lowballers. It's a. I know what I got. I got some vintage toilet paper up here. So okay, right. and on that terrible note, we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs> Thank you so much.